Good morning, church. It's good to be with you once again. I got the old housekeeping done up here, get the water bottle opened. It's good to be here. Um, last time I spoke, there wasn't as many as there was here this morning. I came during good old COVID season when many of you were at home sick and unwell. So it's good to see God's people in this morning ready and willing to worship our great God and to praise Him. I bring you greetings from Grace Reformed Baptist Church up the hill in Placerville. Um, if you're ever heading towards Tahoe and you go up 50, please stop in and say hello. We'd love to see you all. Um, we are about the same size as yourself, trying as best as we can to progress in the work of God up there. I don't know if it's like you down here, but where we're at, it's very cold to the Word of God. So we're trying to do as much outreach as possible. So if you could be in prayer for that, we'd be very thankful. But I bring you greetings. We come this morning, just like they are up there, to worship our great God. And what better thing to do than to open His Word and to have it read and to sing and to pray and I have it expounded as we do so from the book of Psalms. So if you would, please take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, beginning at verse 129. Psalm 119, beginning at verse 129. Give careful attention. This is the Word of God. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as in your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my lips according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. Amen. This is God's holy word. Let us come to our great God in prayer. Let's pray. Our loving, eternal, heavenly Father, we still our hearts in your presence this morning on this your day. And O Lord, we give you praise and adoration for the great God that you are. A God who has sustained us through another week. A God who has brought us to your house this morning to come and to worship you, the one true and the living God. We ask as we open your word this morning that it would be that tonic and that balm to our souls. Lord, many, I'm sure, in this room, like many others, going through trials and tribulations. We ask, O oh Lord, that your word would be that soothing ointment to their soul. Lord, we pray for any in our midst this morning who know you not, who do not confess Christ as Savior. We ask that many would come to saving faith, and that all of us, O oh Lord, would even come back this evening or before our heads hits the pillow this night and to give you praise and adoration for the great God that you are. 
We pray now that as this word is sown, that it would fall indeed on good ground, and that it is watered, that it would grow and flourish. And your people, O Lord, would be strong in their faith in these days. Lord, help both preacher and hearer alike. And what we say and what we do, O Lord, may it be in accordance to your word. For we ask it in and through Christ's precious name. Amen. Many things in our broken, broken world can bring us to tears. You do not know me at all, but I am an Irishman. If you cannot tell, which by that laughter you can now. But there are many things that bring us to tears, and the Irish are notorious for fighting. Yes, we are. But we're also a bit of an emotional bunch. I'm not sure any of you, unlike me, would have watched the Rugby World Cup that was previously happening this last month in France. But each time the national anthem was sung, you would see grown men bigger than me, burlier than me, with worse ears than me, weeping at the sound of that anthem being sung. And there are many things in this world that bring us to tears. Many serious items, like divorce, miscarriages, wayward children, and death itself. Even less serious events like romantic breakups, songs, even movies can grip our hearts and cause us to shed a tear. Perhaps you're sitting there right now and you're thinking of someone or something that has brought you to tears. Don't linger on it too long. But have you ever asked yourself, when was the last time I ever wept over my sin? When was the last time tears streamed down my face because my God was being dishonored or being disrespected? You see, the answer to that question, and I'm going to pull this down a bit, the answer to that question is very important because in it, it shows our passions in this world, the things that we value the most. There are many things in this world that vie for our love and many things that vie for our attention and many things that vie to give us pleasure. But this 17th stanza of Psalm 119 shows us what God says Christians, so if you're here this morning and you confess Christ as Savior, it tells us what God says Christians should be most passionate about. You see, in this section, the psalmist continues to fight against the power of evil. And it's that evil which is trying to subdue him from living a life pleasing to God. And it's God's Word. It's that book that you have on your lap this morning the very words from God himself, which delivers him from evil and does what? It establishes him. It establishes him in the right and not the wrong. Thus, he declares over and over again that God's word gives him life and it gives him light. 
He prays that the Lord would turn to him and establish in him by directing, redeeming, blessing, and teaching him. And knowing, knowing what God's word has done for the psalmist here does what in the very, very last verse that we read? My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Knowing what God's word has done for him, he concludes this stanza by weeping, by shedding tears over those who are rebellious against God and God's word. This morning, it's my hope to encourage you and to enlighten you and to help you through the word of God. I am no Spurgeon, nor will I ever be. I'm a simple farmer's son from Macrofelt all the way in Northern Ireland. And I come this morning with good news. It's not my news. It's not words that have come from me. These are from the words of God's pages, from his holy book. And so this morning, I want to open up this stanza under these three headings. Those of you who are taking notes, those of you who I really appreciate your bulletin, uh, I'm kind of the bulletin guy that likes to look and see how other churches do it for ideas. There's a section in there to take notes, so if you're doing it, it's these three headings. God's Word causes spiritual life. God's Word causes supplications. And God's Word causes compassion for the lost. Spiritual life, supplications, compassion for the lost. The verses in this stanza, and these opening three verses, seem to cause a chain reaction. Children, do you ever play dominoes? Adults, do you ever play dominoes? There's nothing as more fun as having a nice long domino run all set out, and it looks oh so pretty, until you see that one little finger reach out and go boop, and it knocks them all down. It's the same in this stanza. This stanza seems to cause a chain reaction. Acting upon verse upon verse, it leads one to added realization and then acting on to the very next verse. The psalmist opens this section with a confession that God's words are indeed life-changing. 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. God's words are wonderful. That's actually plural. It's not one word. It's many words. In that they evoke a sense of awe and of wonder. Why? Because of the God who acts through them. Wonderful means astonishing. It means commands and revelations and promises. Their wonder, it seems, is the being free from all error. And in their overwhelming demonstration of their truthfulness, God's word instructs. It elevates. It strengthens. And it comforts the soul. Those who know them best wonder at them most. Is that how you view the word of God this morning? 
a word that instructs, a word that elevates, a word that strengthens, a word that comforts the soul. It's astonishing that a God who is so good and so majestic should ever bear testimony to sinful men and women like us. And it's even more a wonder that his testimony should be so clear, it should be so full, so gracious, so mighty to save. That which is on your lap this morning, do you think upon it that way? With the sense of God's wonder working par before him, he confesses that it is the reason he keeps or observes them. This, this wonder working par is, is so impressed itself upon his mind that he keeps them in memory. Therefore, my soul keeps them. If you're anything like me, you struggle to remember people's names. <laughs> this morning, each and every one of you could tell me, hey, I'm Bob, I'm Sally. I'm sorry if there is a Bob and a Sally here. Those are just two names that I randomly picked. But you could tell me your name today, and tomorrow you could walk up to me and I'll be like, hello, how you doing? Don't remember your name. But memorization of the Word of God is so important. It's so vital. And over and over and over again, in Psalm 119, we're instructed to memorize. This is a series that we've been going through in our own church and up in Placerville. And memorization, when you boil it down, is muttering God's word. We all like to murmur and complain. Some of us more than others. But when last did we mutter the words of God. A simple verse that comes to mind as you do your devotions in the morning and something that you meditate upon through on the day and perhaps if you're like me, your old mind doesn't quite work that well. I've suffered quite a few concussions playing rugby. That's my excuse. That's what I'm sticking to. But we should mutter. Mutter the very words of God. Spurgeon said this, his devotion was soul work. He didn't simply, speaking of the psalmist here, he didn't simply keep the testimonies in his head, but in his soul, in his eternal being, on the very tip of his tongue, and he held fast to them. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world fraught with dangers. We've all come in here this morning with trials and tribulations. On Friday, I flew home from Atlanta after a business trip and got a phone call from my brother-in-law. Their little daughter, who was born with heart condition, had been rushed into UC Davis. And as you go up to the 10th floor in UC Davis, there are so many sick children. And that's only one floor. There are 16, 17 floors in that building. And you walk in and there's parents who are believers 
distraught over their little one. Some of you this morning have walked in with trials and tribulations of a week. We live in a world that's fraught with dangers, with trials and tribulations. Think of the person in the sea in peril. You children this morning, think upon that man or woman who's out at sea. They fall overboard. Whoops. What do they normally do? Well, hopefully, if there's anyone around, they'll throw them one of those plastic rings with a hole in the middle with a rope. Hopefully, they don't hit them on the head and they're able to grab it. And what does that person do? They hold fast to it as if their very life depended upon it. That little ring given to those in the sea is on your lap this morning. It's the Word of God. It's something that in these days we must hold fast to. In days of dangers and peril. It's not the news, whatever side you watch. It's not Apple. It's not Facebook. It's not TikTok videos. It's not your social media profile. No. The thing as believers we need in these days is the words of our great God. This morning, if you're facing pressure and stress, hear the words of God from the prophet Isaiah. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of, the t of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Again, Isaiah, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on these, because he trusted in thee. Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not on thine own understandings. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Perhaps this morning you've come in and you're in financial turmoil. Philippians 4.19 tells us, But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. One that my wife likes to quote to me when perhaps the numbers are a little tight. I have been young and now I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Perhaps this morning you're feeling powerless. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Perhaps this morning you're feeling inadequate. Perhaps this morning you're coming in feeling unworthy. Ephesians says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which Christ hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ Jesus in you, the hope of glory. God is a good God. He's given us words from his very self to do what? To encourage us. 
Because look what it goes on to say in verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. The psalmist acknowledges that the entrance of your words give light. The unfolding or the opening to me of God's word indicates its revelation, its exposition, its entrance into the very heart of man. This exposition of light in our minds is because of the revelation of God himself. And it's in an awesome reality. When spirit-led teachers and preachers open up the word that we're commanded to do in Luke 24, the light of God's truth shines forth offering what? Christ. Christ and him crucified. Not our fancy words, not our words to tickle your ears. No, Christ in all of his goodness. We realize here that there is power beyond our natural reasons. We do not grasp these things ourselves. We need the help of the Spirit to enable us. But he says it imparts understanding to the simple. Have to be careful because this is not my church and I don't know you and you may have tomatoes or eggs or something in your basket. The simple are not dumb. The simple are not dumb. There are many in our day who say that Christians are dumb and stupid. They're not. A believer in Christ has realized that the, the very end of themselves is nothing and that they need Christ. That is not dumb. That is not stupid in any way. This word wasn't written to make us intellectual giants, and yes, there have been. But it's to make us wise and understand how we should live our lives. God has called us out of darkness to live in his light. To live in his marvelous light, we must be what? Taught by his word. How are you doing with that this morning? I ask that question every time I preach from Psalm 119. How is your quiet time, dear saint? How is your time in the Word and in prayer? How is your times of conversations with fellow believers? How is your time in conversation with those who know not Christ? Is it light or is it a little murky? How are you doing this morning? I can care how you are health-wise. Yes, that's a wonderful thing. But as a preacher of God's word, I'm more concerned about your spiritual health. How do you stand before God? Why do I say that? Well, on the final day, Rob and myself and whoever stands in this pulpit or in any other pulpit will give an account of each time that we spoke to you here or in private. 
And it should be that as shepherds we care enough for your soul to ask you sometimes hard and difficult questions. When was the last time you opened the word? I'm a pastor. And there are days that I don't even read my Bible. And I have to ask for forgiveness from God for that. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ healed many, many in those days of physical blindness. But his greatest aim was concerning their spiritual blindness. And think of all those who are spurned against him. In John 9, those who refused to believe that Jesus was a sinner, or Jesus was not a sinner, they rebuked him. And what did he say? Jesus says to them, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those that who see may be blind. The Apostle Paul wrote of the very same thing in 2 Corinthians. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. A world in darkness, a world in spiritual darkness, needs the light of Christ. And the psalmist here says that the entrance of your word gives light. It's God's word that enables us and helps us. This morning I ask you, open your eyes to these things. Believer, perhaps they've become a little glazed. Perhaps you're opening your Bibles and it's more uh, ticking a box and moving on. I urge the people in my own congregation, and I urge you to do the same. Pull on the handbrake. They all went, what? At times we think we need to read two, three, four, five chapters of the Word of God a day for it to do any good to us. I urge you to slow down. In a day when everything must be quicker and faster, we're even looking at our iPhone 14 going, Man, the 15's like .00001 quicker. Yeah, I should get the newest one. Or if you're like me, a dad, you head on the old Xfinity to see what broadband you're getting and it's just not quick enough. I'd like an upgrade. We all want things quicker and more instant. But believer, I urge you this morning, slow down. Take time in the Word. Because there are times when you read the Word of God and you read it afresh and it comes with newness. Because look what the psalmist says in verse 131. I opened my mouth and panted because I longed for your commandments. He portrays himself here as that, that thirsty animal. That animal that, as it were, is dying in the desert with thirst. 
And as we read that, our minds are reminded of Psalm 42 where it says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When last did you pant for the Word of God? This morning as you awoke and got out of your beds, were you excited to come to the house of the Lord? Or did you pull back the sheet and go, oh, here we go again. As God feeds us from his word, as God nourishes us from the very words of his holy book, it increases our thirst after him. As we read and as we delve into the Word and as we pull our commentaries down from our, from our shelves or, or perhaps we're on sermon audio listening to all our sermons, uh, it fills us and it makes us more hungry. And what does it do? It leaves us thirsting for more. This morning I ask, are you thirsting? Are you panting after the living God? If not, then confess. Come to God. Seek his help. And ask for help in this regard. This is not our natural tendencies. There are many times as I walk up, if you ever come to our church, there are quite a few stairs to get up into it. And by the end of it, you're panting not for the word of God but you're panting because you're out of breath and at times you think Lord why am I even here on a Wednesday night when it comes to a time of prayer and a time of opening the word and the day has been so hard and perhaps you've had difficulties at work, perhaps as husband and wife you've been bickering with each other, perhaps as mothers you've been challenged with the children all day and you're, you're dealing with them and it comes till, I don't know what time your prayer meeting is, ours is at 6.30, comes till a quarter to six and you're going, oh, I'm just so tired, I don't want to go. And yet you go and you sit there and you're encouraged by the word. You're encouraged by the prayers of God's people. And it gives you that thirst for more. I urge you, be at times of prayer. Be at the opening of God's word and at times of prayer as much as you possibly can so that you too can be like the psalmist, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. See your need in these days. See your need of the word. Secondly this morning, God's word causes supplications. With this need pressing, this thirsting, the psalmist prays for God to see his need in verse 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. God's presence turned towards him as a sign of his divine favor. Turn around toward me from whom you have diverted your gaze. His grace, his, his plea is for grace, divine grace. And it's that that will satisfy the longing of his soul. 
He reminds God that such grace or such mercy is His promise towards those who walked. Love His name. To love God's name is to love God Himself and to enter into a relationship with Him. Read Psalm 5 this afternoon when you get home. There you will see that we enter into a relationship with God. And that relationship is sustained and strengthened by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is why the psalmist is as confident as asking for the Lord's attention. Lord, turn and show me your presence. Spurgeon says, if God looks and sees us panting for him, he will not fail to be merciful to us. God is a good God. He is not like us. God does not change like we do. Each and every day, our thoughts and our intentions are like a pinball machine. They're just pinging all over the show. But God is a God whose love never changes. You see, look what 133 says. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Remember the old dominoes. Here we are now and he's asking God, keep steady my steps. Grace or mercy received in 132 knocks over and it leads to what? Obedience. Direct or order or establish my steps according to your word. That established could be said to make firm. Or it could be translated to make me walk safely. He wants his steps to be guided not by himself, but by God and God alone. If you ever get to Ireland, which I hope you do, and if you ever need help, I would be more than willing to fly over with you and show you around. You can pay for my ticket, but that's okay. (laughs) But in Ireland, when you go to the coast, there are paths going along the coastway. And sadly, not to put you off ever going, Sadly, there have been those who are visitors or tourists who cannot stay on the path. They see the beautiful cliffs, they see the beautiful seafront, and unfortunately we've had people who have literally looked too far. And they've gone over the edge. That can be us. We have God's word. And yet we look past it. We have the truth contained in these pages. And yet our eyes look to other things. Our eyes look to, well, what would social media do? What would the news have me do? 
What would my neighbor down the road have me to do? The psalmist here is asking that God would have, as it were, dominion over him. He will be controlled by God rather than anything else that this world has to offer. We can't do these things ourselves, dear Christian. And here the psalmist plainly lays out the desire that he wants from God, direct me. Keep me steady because left to myself I will go each and every way but the narrow way leading to life. During the great sea era or sea exploration in the 15th and 16th centuries, sailing ships traversed vast hazardous oceans. In the coastlines they did not know. And captains used various navigation techniques, including a book. And that book was called a rudder. Not a rudder, that's what moves it, but a rudder, R-U-T-T-E-R. And this book was the captain's, as it were, most prized possession. Why? Because seagoers before had had written in there their encounters with previous and unknown waters that they had traversed. And by reading these details, these captains could, they could avoid hazards and and they could make it through difficult waters. In many ways, the Christian life is a voyage. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. Some of you as we'll think of in a later, could be lying with the cold dew of death upon your head. You do not know. And that is why, as we navigate these these perilous seas, as we navigate these difficult and hard days, we need a rudder. And it's been given to you It's what's on your lap right now. It's what men and women in years gone past have actually died at the stake for. Their conviction of getting it into our own language. This morning I don't have to preach to you in Irish. Because if I did, you may think it's really cool for about two or three minutes. And then afterwards you'd be saying, what? What's he saying? Does anybody know? I probably wouldn't even know either, but that's a different story. And often we can reflect on a meaningful passage. We can recall God's faithfulness through trying circumstances. And as the psalmist indicates perils and trials, these become what he asks God not to let have dominion over him. As you reflect on the teachings in the Bible, these are not stories or fables. These are real men and real women and real boys and girls at specific times just like you and me. And as we read them, we should be reminded of God's care for his saints, assured of God's guidance as he he even take those who came out of Egypt as he navigated them with the cloud and with the fire. 
You see, we need God's Word as our map. We need the Spirit of God, as it were, as our compass to stay on our course for heaven. Otherwise, sin gets dominion over us. See, in verse 134, he says, Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Like Israel in Egypt, he prays to be brought out of man's bondage by God's outstretched arm of power. He's saying, deliver me. To oppress is to seek or to lay low. He wants to be unrestrained, as it were, in his service to God. Thus, the result of his deliverance and his being unrestrained is what? that he will keep God's precepts. Hundred and thirty-five says, Make your face shine upon your servant. Make and teach me your statutes. The psalmist is asking for a full, for a for an open relationship with God. He's asking, he's pleading, he's yearning that God would make his face to shine upon him. Remind you of anything else in the Word of God? Numbers 25, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God is our master. And because he is our master, he is also what? He's our teacher. It's God who instructs us through his word, through his commands, through his promises, through his precepts, through his statutes, through his judgments and his instructions. It should be the aim of a believer to have God's face shine upon us. The shining face is that teaching of God's truth. We don't like to look in the mirror, or mirror, sorry. I know I don't anyway. But yet the book of James tells us to look at that and see how we are before a holy God. This morning is God's face shining upon you with delight and with favor. As God teaches us his truth, we should long for these things. You see, the Lord gives us his word to direct us in many facets of life. The days we live in, we are afraid of the law. And I speak of the law from the Word of God. There are many in our day who think the law is nothing but a big beating stick that hurts us. But the more I grow in my Christian walk, and the more that I read God's Word, and even the more that I've been in Psalm 119, the law is a delight. 
It helps us. It guides us. It enables us. Even, even reading Exodus 20 and those, those Ten Commandments that we've learned as children in years gone past, just stopping to think, even of the very first one, no other gods. This morning, have we other gods before the one true and living God? We live in days when materialism is the big thing. Let's have the biggest house on the road. Let's have the fanciest car that money can buy. Let's go on the most exotic holidays that we can. And while we're on it, let's show the world as we Instagram. It's not the real world. Why? Because the Word of God tells us that those things will burn in the last days. God is the one. God is the only one who should get all of our attention. He is the one whom we should serve. He is the one who we should give most of our time to. He is the one who this morning we sung, we prayed to, we're opening up the word and we'll pray a little bit later that we've come to worship. We just didn't come to warm those seats. We didn't come to, I say it reverently, waste away an hour, an hour and a half. No, we come to worship the one true and the living God. Let us continue in those things. Let us fight the good fight. Why? Because thirdly this morning, God's word causes compassion for the lost. The writer's longing, the the writer's thinking of God showing his face upon him, the writer's thinking of the, the, the commandments that are given and all the goodness that is in God, it's as if he pulls on that handbrake and he stops. And he thinks over here of all of the goodness of God. And he turns around and he sees those who do not keep the law. And it causes him to weep. Man's spiritual blindness and rebellion has caused him to weep. The more that we read the word the more that we're engaged in the things of God, the more that we should be full of compassion, full of of worry and, as it were, sickness of those who know not God in these days. Why? Because they're missing out on what we know is the most wonderful blessing of all, Jesus Christ. Just like Christ wept over the lostness of Jerusalem, so we this morning here in Linden and up in Placerville should have a burden for the lost. When was the last time, when was the last time as a believer you shed tears because of someone lost around you? When you think of your neighbor who lives beside you perhaps for the last 10, 20, 30 years and they know not Christ, 
Are you burdened for them? Think of yourself, dear saint. When was the last time we wept over our own sin against a holy God? The psalmist, time and time again, will talk about a wet pillow in the evening. Have we ever wept over our sins? Perhaps, yes, when we first got converted. But what about now? See, we can become so familiar with these things. It just becomes the routine and and what we do. Perhaps we have those respectable sins that we think no one knows anything about. But there's one person that does. God. We always tell our our kids that God is everywhere and he sees all things. We love to tell them that. Same goes for us. Same goes for us. The psalmist knows the world he lives in so well. It's broken. It's pain. It's sorrow. It's sin. And one would have been blind not to see it. And in our day, it's the very same thing. Even driving here this morning. A bit of a weirdo when it comes to this. But as I drive to church on a Sunday morning, I think of all those who are driving in the opposite direction. Even as I turn the street to come around down here, there's the quickie mart or whatever it is up on the corner. The parking lot's full. Won't be going to church. Doesn't know any, they don't know anything of God. Are we worried for their souls in these days? The psalmist uses that beautiful word picture to describe his grief. My eyes pour out streams of tears. Literally, rivers of water are flowing down his eyes when he sees people. Those who breathe the same air he does. Those who eat the food from the land that he does. Those who bear the divine image of God disregard the Lord's word and they pay God no attention. His eyes weep. He is sorrowful for them. They prefer the false way rather than the truth. They choose to let sin instead of God's word rule their lives. We see that in 133. Let no iniquity get dominion over me. The sinner, it doesn't, they don't care. These situations should, should drive us, dear, dear saint, to break down and weep. They don't follow the word of God. The teachings of our Lord that are found in his word are disobeyed and rejected. If you've ever went on the doors and you've knocked it, perhaps your hand trembling as you did, wondering what's behind the door. And you knock that door and you say to them, 
If you've got a few moments, I'd like to speak to you of Christ. You either get the door slammed in your face, you get laughed at and ridiculed, or even worse, that's happened to me one time, they let the dogs loose, and uh, Merv had to move very quickly and jump a few hedges. People have no time for God in these days. We think back to the book of Judges when the very last verse it says that everyone does what is right in their own eyes. But you see, God gives us his divinely inspired word and what does humanity do? We couldn't care less. But that's not how those who love God respond. As Spurgeon says, spiritual men feel a holy fear of the Lord himself and most of all lament when they see dishonor cast upon his holy name. A young boy one day noticed a large dust-covered book. It was on a very high shelf in the room. And his curiosity was so aroused that he asked his mother about it. Embarrassed, his mother hastily turned around and said, Oh, that's God's book. The young boy thought for a moment and he said, Well, Mom, if it's God's book, why don't we just give it back to him? Nobody around here uses it. In many homes, the Bible is seldom opened. In fact, it's hardly noticed or even thought about. I ask you this morning again how long since you've picked up the Word of God and studied it. It's God's book, but He doesn't want it back. He wants you, dear saint, to keep it, to ponder it, to understand it, to believe it, to obey its message. Fathers, I lay this charge at your feet this morning. Do not let the Bible become the forgotten book in your home. How is family worship? How is the washing your wife and your children with the word of God going? These things are unpopular in our days and sometimes uncomfortable. And yet as fathers and husbands, it's our responsibility to do these things. Yes, not perfectly, but yet we need to. If your Bible is in good shape, your soul probably isn't. You see, God's Word works wonders. It gives light, it dispels the darkness. Moreover, it comes from the God who makes his face to shine upon us. It's the light from the very countenance of God himself shining upon those who seek the wonders of his word. If this morning we have found them, we join with the psalmist in looking out in our world and weeping of those who prefer to live in darkness. But we must not stop there, believer. We have the antidote in our hand to give to those who are lost. This morning, if you're in here this morning and you know not Christ, 
I share it with you again. One of my favorite hymns reads like this. I'll love thee in life. I will love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say when the death dew lies cold on my brow. If ever I love thee. My Jesus tis now. This morning the breath that you have in your lungs. Is lent to you. It's not yours. It's been given to you by God. And in God's mercy and in God's kindness, he has spared you one more week. The gospel message goes forth from this pulpit week after week. And here you are sitting again this morning, hearing the word. But I ask you this morning in all sincerest and with all love, when that death due, when the breath that is in your lungs is no more, and you're lying there dead, where will, you, where will your soul be? Where will it be? You see, the Word of God tells us that there are indeed only two places. Heaven or hell. How do you stand before God this morning? I urge you to repent of your sins and to turn to Christ. To be like the psalmist. Longing and yearning that God's face would shine upon him. Because there will come a day if you reject these things. That you will be in a place of utter darkness. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. We have no idea what that is. Young person. Growing up in a Christian home. I was once like you. And I lived a life for 18, 19 years as a young boy. I had parents who were ill and I didn't want to displease them. So I led the lie of saying that I was a believer. Until one day, a faithful preacher was preaching a sermon and he asked a question. If you went home today and you choked on your dinner, today you're all going to eat together. If unfortunately you choked and you weren't able to be resuscitated, where would you be? I urge you this morning, turn to Christ. Turn to the one that is that everlasting life. The one who is that great light the one who is the only one who can take away our sins, who died on a cross for people like us. Look around. We're not famous. No one knows who we are. Yet God does. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine, dear saint. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, 
My Savior art thou, if ever I love thee. My Jesus, tis now. Today is the day of salvation. Right now, this very hour, do not wait any longer. If you've put it off, I urge you not. Come to Christ. The psalmist says this, Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. (coughs) It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your, under, teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We do thank you indeed it is that light to guide us and direct us upon the path that we walk. We ask, O Lord, that as believers in these days that we would use that light to show us your truth, to help us live according to it, and to rejoice as we do so. We ask, O Lord, that indeed your face would shine upon us in these days. Even those who have come in this morning who are going through hard trials and tribulations, we ask, O Lord, that they would know your presence in these days. For even those, O Lord, who are on the mountaintops and who are walking with you, we pray that you would keep them safe, Dear Lord, we pray that they would not become prideful. Dear Lord, that their walk with you would be that sweet communion that we are commanded to have. And, O Lord, we ask for those who know you not. Perhaps some in this room this morning who have heard your gospel message time and time again and yet have, as it were, turned their back on these things. This morning we urge, O Lord, that you would do a dealing in their lives. We cannot save them. Even our own children, O Lord, how we would long to see them saved, and yet we leave them in your care and in your keeping. We ask, O Lord, that you would remove that deafness from their ears, that scales from their eyes, that they would hear and see Christ in all of his glory. And like just that that jailer yelled out, what must I do to be saved? We pray that many this morning would do that. And that even as we hear of those who have come to saving faith, that, O Lord, we would rejoice, even as the angels do in heaven. And may it be that that would be that encouragement to our souls. Lord, we pray for this congregation. We thank you for it. We thank you for those who are in attendance, even perhaps those who are at home sick, and even for those who are on vacation. 
Lord, we pray that you would continue to sustain and guide this church in these days. We pray for those who shepherd and guard. Enable them, O Lord, in these days also. Equip them through your word. Help them to teach the people aright from it. And may it be, O Lord, that as they walk together along this pilgrim way, that they would do it encouraged by one another. Lord, we ask that you would meet us all at the point of our need and that we would give you praise and glory for who you are. For we ask it in and through your Son's precious name. Amen.